Today, Dr. Melanie Burton, a forensic and counseling psychologist, clinical social worker, and licensed addictions counselor, brings you one step closer to a new you, where you feel empowered and on a positive path to growth and well-being. As a solutions-focused therapist, Dr. Melanie Burton can help you live a life worth celebrating by unearthing those long-standing behavior patterns and perceptions that may be holding you back. And now, here's your host, Dr. Melanie Burton. Hello, everybody. I was trying to uh, get on my Spotify live, but for some reason it's not working. Um, I hope everybody's doing great. Haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Um, But I have been wanting to talk about the death of Tyree Nichols. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about how you can keep yourself safe and create a safe space for those of us who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. So um, I just want to start by including information about everything that happened with the Tyrese Nichols death. Um, So police officers unleashed a barrage of commands that were confusing, conflicting, and sometimes even impossible to obey. A Times analysis of footage from Tyree Nichols' fatal traffic stop found when Mr. Nichols could not comply, and even when he managed to, the officers responded with escalating force. The review of the available footage found that officers shouted at least 71 commands during the approximately 13-minute period before they reported over the radio that Mr. Nichols was officially in custody. 13 minutes, 71 commands. The orders were issued at two locations, one near Mr. Nichols' vehicle and the other in an area he had fled to and where he would be severe. The orders were often simultaneous and contradictory. Officers commanded Mr. Nichols to show his hands even as they were holding his hands. They told him to get underground even when he was underground. And they ordered him to reposition himself even when they had control of his body. Experts say the actions of the Memphis police officers were an egregious example of a longstanding problem in policing in which officers physically punished civilians for perceived disrespect or disobedience. Sometimes called contempt, quote, contempt of cop. The practice was notoriously prevalent decades ago, so this isn't something new in um, policing. Um, it's always been 
an issue where if a police officer considers you to be disrespectful or disobedience, you're going to see another side of that police officer come out. And I'm saying that based on my own personal experience, you're going to see another side. So as I was taught growing up, my parents always said you have to be very respectful to the police. Yes, officer. No, officer. Thank you, officer. You have to treat them with a level of, uh, with, with, so that they feel that sense of authority because they're in charge. They have that sense of authority and control over you as well as how that situation will end. So it was far more rampant in the 80s um, when the author states that they started doing police work. Then it was in the 19s or 2000s with Jeffrey Albert, a professor of criminology and criminal justice at the University of South Carolina. Even before body cams, cops were getting more professional and wouldn't make it wouldn't make it personal like it seemed to be in this case. This is just it's so far out of the norm. I don't think it's out of the norm. I think these situations with African American males, especially, and police have always been a major, major problem. To mitigate the potential for escalation and confusion during police encounters, today's police training typically calls for a single officer at the scene to issue clear and specific commands. It also requires police officers to respond professionally and proportionately to any perceived act of defiance. But the Times Review shows that the officers did not expect, that the officers did the exact opposite over and over and over again. The available footage does not show any sign that the officers present intervened to stop the aggressive use of force. If anything, it shows the contrary. At one point, footage captured an officer saying, quote, I hope they stop his ass after Mr. Nichols' attempt to flee the scene. When asked for a comment on the officer's conduct at the traffic stop, a spokesperson from the Memphis Police Department said, quote, all information that is available at this point has been released. However, know that this investigation remains ongoing. The Memphis Police Association also said it could not comment because of the ongoing investigation. The Times analysis is based on footage from police body cams and street cameras released by the city of Memphis and synchronized by the Times. There are four key moments in which officers punish Mr. Nichols for not complying with their flawed commands. And the videos um, contain scenes of graphic violence. The footage begins with a police officer 
driving up to the intersection with where Mr. Nichols' car has been boxed in by two unmarked police vehicles. The officer jumps out with his forearm drawn and joins a pair of officers who are rushing toward the front seat. The officer pulls Mr. Nichols out of the car and all three officers immediately start screaming, underground! These are the first orders and the bombardment of confusing commands that confound Mr. Nichols and prompt a cascade of retribution. So remember, there were 71 commands. Mr. Nichols points out that he is sitting underground, as the officers instructed him to do. But multiple officers shout the same command over and over with intensifying confusion and physical threats. Get on the ground, one orders. I'm going to tase your ass. It eventually becomes evident that the officers would like Mr. Nichols not only on the ground, but also lying down on the ground. When Mr. Nichols repositions himself, it appears to further antagonize the officers. He tries to convey that he poses no threat. You guys are really doing a lot right now, he says. I'm just trying to go home. With officers pinning down his arms, pressing a taser against his leg, and barking intensifying verbal threats, Mr. Nickel explodes. I'm on the ground. Finally, one of the officers yells more specific instructions. On your stomach. Three seconds later, one of the officers shoots pepper spray, pepper spray into Mr. Nichols' face. After fleeing on foot, Mr. Nichols is seen lying on the ground a few yards away from his car, flanked by officers demanding that he give them his hands. But one of them is gripping his left arm and the other is holding his right arm. It's not clear how the officers expect Mr. Nichols to move. Then a third officer runs up with a can of pepper spray. You're, you're about to get sprayed good, he says. The others start punching Mr. Nichols' face. Mr. Nichols responds by pulling his hands back to protect himself. The punching intensifies and the pepper spray is fired. Wiping the pepper spray from his eyes, Mr. Nichols tries assuring them that he is going to comply. Okay, he says, all right, all right. But just as one of the officers get a hold of him, a new officer arrives and also demands that Mr. Nichols give him his hands. Again, Mr. Nichols is unable to follow the conflicting directions. He flails about, which only only multiplies the officer commands and the physical punishment they inflict on him. He is doused with pepper spray for the third time. Two officers stand above Mr. Nichols, who is lying on the side and rubbing his eyes after being pepper sprayed three times. An officer kicks Mr. Nichols in the face. Mr. Nichols appears to be barely conscious or coherent, but officers treat him as if he is resisting their orders. 
Lay flat, goddammit, one officer commands. Mr. Nickel moans and writhes underground. By this point, he has been tased, kicked in the head twice, and punched and pepper sprayed repeatedly. Lay flat, another officer shouts. Mr. Nichols is lying limp as an officer, without any apparent difficulty, snaps a pair of handcuffs to one of his wrists. Officers continue to issue commands while simultaneously constraining, controlling, and beating Mr. Nichols in ways that render it physically impossible for him to follow those commands. One officer uses Mr. Nichols' handcuffed arm to pull his body from the ground and into a kneeling position. Then another officer strikes him with a baton three times, yelling, Give us your hands! Surrounded by four officers, he tries to move away from the baton. Give me your fucking hands, one officer shouts. But Mr. Nichols, with one officer pinning his arms behind his back, another gripping his handcuffed wrist, and a third punching his face, cannot comply. Mr. Nichols doubles over and calls for his mother, and the blows continue. Five officers have been fired and charged with second-degree murder. Lawyers for two of them said in a news conference last week that their clients intended to plead not guilty, which they did. They pleaded not guilty. So, um, I'm not sure how other people felt watching this whole thing, but it um, reminded me of George Floyd all over again and Rodney King And it really uh, caused my PTSD to kick in. So these police officers are from Memphis, Tennessee. I'm from New York. And I have been put over by NYPD so many times that I can't even count. Two times I got put over last year. One, because the officer said I was speeding. He was nice. He didn't give me a ticket because I told him I was a doctor. Maybe that's the only reason I didn't get a ticket and my dog was in the car. I think he liked my dog. Um, the other time I got put over because I was driving my older vehicle, which I don't drive very often and the front headlight was off even though the other lights the other headlight was on and the other light on the bottom of the two lights on the bottom of the headlights were also on and I was just like right on the highway not far from my house like an exit from two exits from my house and um the police officer put me over. He, um, I was I was scared, so I actually put over on the left hand side 
instead of the right hand side. And um, the officer um, got on his microphone and told me I needed to get in the right hand lane, which I did. I complied. He uh, came up to the window, looked into the back of the vehicle. Um, and he was just, a, he was just rude. He was just, he was just absolutely rude. And yes, he ended up giving me a ticket, which I, I beat. Um, I, I was angry because it took time out of my busy schedule to have to run to the court building and have to deal with that whole situation. Um, he gave me the incorrect information on what I was going to have to do to handle the situation. But it was just just uncalled for, just trying to come home from the gym. So um, the other incident that I dealt with, even though there were numerous other ones, like driving from my mother's house when I lived in Washington, D.C. with D.C. license plates, I get pulled over because he says you don't have a New York sticker. Well, that's because I have D.C. license plates. Then there was another time where the horrible situation, which I don't talk about very often because it was traumatic. I was actually celebrating the 4th of July um, with friends and we rented out a hotel room at a prestigious hotel in uh, Rochester, New York. And part of the reason why we rented that hotel is because they had an above ground pool on the roof, um, which was a lot of fun. We had a great day. And I actually um, went to the garage, was coming from my car, and proceeded to get into the elevator. And There were security guards on the um, first floor by the elevator, and a police officer told me to get out the elevator, which I refused to do. I told him I was just going back to my room. I don't think he believed I had a room in that hotel. So he proceeded to put his hands on me and yank me out of the elevator. So let me explain a little bit to you about what happens when someone puts their hands on me, especially someone I don't know. I see nothing but black. I automatically just see black. My survival instincts kick in and I become very reactionary. That's because it's a trauma trigger. So at that point, when the police officer put his hands on me for no reason and proceeded to pull me out of the elevator, my trauma trigger kicked in. I saw black and I was told um, that I punched the police officer in the face. I hard called him and That's what the uh, security officers who were black uh, men, two black men 
informed my attorney and they said that they stuck around because they were afraid it was going to be another Rodney King. Um, I can tell you that I believe that it would have been a Rodney King if I was not a woman. So I believe being a woman is what protected me. But the police manhandled me, threw me in the back of the police car, and took me to jail. Where I spent the entire night in jail. I had to wait to see the judge. The next morning, slept on, on the floor in the jail. Um, was um, shackled with other other females while I waited to see the judge. And um, the judge, uh, you know, let me out for whatever reason. Um, I don't even remember paying money. I don't know. It was a long time ago, but it was in the 2000s. Um, so I had to go to court and um, had a really good attorney and um, he had the charges um, dropped. So there was nothing on my record. But I do believe that if I was not female, that situation would have most definitely escalated. Um, so when I think about this whole situation with Tyree Nichols and how the officers beat him to death and he died from his internal injuries, I feel like, you know, that that could have been me. I, I could be Tyree Nichols. Any of us could be Tyree Nichols. Um, so I want to remind people that you're welcome to call into the show. We have a toll-free number, and the phone number is 888-627-6008, 888-627-6008, if anyone wants to call or even hit me up on chat. Uh, so... Part of the reason that I wanted to talk about the Tyree Nichols incident is because since people have phones and police cams, everything now is being recorded. So we actually are able to um, see all of these incidents happen live um, because of technology. Um, you know, there were times when we weren't able, we didn't have the technology and we didn't see those things live. I remember, you know, driving through um, Harlem with my family one night. We were in a taxi cab and the police were brutally beating this guy on the side of the street. And at that time, you just mind your business. You didn't intervene, but now things are different with, um, because of technology that like with George Floyd, people standing on bystanders, people standing on, on the sidewalk that had been in broad daylight, were able to record that whole 
incident with the police. Um, I should have like not even brought my phone in here, but I was trying to do Spotify. So I apologize for the interruption. Um, but in this situation with Tyree Nichols, he was on a busy highway and um, ended up on a street that wasn't as busy and it was at nighttime. So the only thing we had recorded was the uh, police body cam footage. Um, so when all of these incidents um, with the police and even incidents that aren't with the police, but we see somebody brutally beaten, it causes us to, it, it, it causes, like I said, for me, um, to trigger my own personal trauma and I have flashbacks over my own personal trauma, especially with the uh, police. So when situations like that happen and you feel like you're being traumatized by what you've seen on TV, like George Floyd, we literally saw this man being murdered. We saw the, the breath come out of his body by the police. And nothing happened. Nobody could save him. There was nobody who could save them. The people on, you know, the sidewalk who were yelling and screaming at the police, they um, they couldn't intervene. They, they couldn't intervene. All they could do was record. So when you witness something like that and it causes you trauma, it's important that you check in with yourself and that you learn how to notice how you feel in your body and your mind and how you react when you remember, work on, or deal with the traumatic experiences that have happened to you. It may take practice for you to focus on your body and your emotions and become aware of how you are reacting. But the following steps for checking in were developed by Rosenblum and Williams in 1999 to help you. First, stop whatever activity you are doing. Second, sit quietly for a short period of time. Third, turn your attention inward and ask your body how it feels. Get in touch with your body. Notice if you feel any tension anywhere in your body, for example, in your shoulders, your stomach, your jaw, or your back, and notice if you are holding your breath. Notice if you are doing any behaviors that suggest tension, such as biting your nails or picking at your skin. Now, Notice any emotions you feel. If you are able to recognize them, are you feel fearful, sad, angry, lonely? Notice if you have racing thoughts or if you 
are able to stay focused. You might not be able to stay focused. You might have a lot of different things running through your head. If you've noticed any of these reactions, take some time to use the deep breath, deep breathing or relaxation techniques. So, really, um, the deep breathing technique, and I tell my, my clients to take one foot deep breath, hold it, let it out, take another deep breath, hold it, let it out, and take another deep breath. Really, really deep breath and let it out. The deep breathing technique really helps reduce symptoms of anxiety. It can help reduce fewer headaches and high blood pressure. It can help you, if you're like me, you suffer from insomnia, it can help you have less insomnia. And it's a way to gain more control, especially for people who have panic attacks. Um, it's a way to reduce stress levels, a way to feel more at peace. And um, it can also help a person feel more creativity. So additional techniques that I want to um, discuss to you with you today um, have to do with uh, creating a safe place. So one thing that you can do is to create your own safe place. In your safe place, you may just sit and meditate or think, or you may do an activity or you can imagine doing an activity. Generally, your safe place needs to have limited access. In other words, only you and those you totally trust or wish to protect can gain access to your safe place. Your safe place needs to provide you with a sense of protection and security. It does not necessarily have to be comfortable and cozy. It can be a rocky shore along a beach or a wild Landscape, landscape. What matters most is that you are safe from the dangerous outs, from the dangers outside of your safe place location. Think back over the course of your life to any and all places in which you've been safe. If you have no safe place to which you can return, think of what might make a safe place. For example, you can find or create a safe place anywhere you choose. Would your safe place be a rocky beach or an open meadow, a castle with a moat and drawstring and, and drawbridge, or a sunny forest? As you create or remember a safe place, think of its characteristics and then add any and all items you might want to bring. For example, you might bring weapons, furniture, equipment, 
items that have meaning, need protection, or make you feel safe. It, It is important that this place is secure for you. Stay in your safe place. Look around you. What do you see? Concentrate on colors and visual elements that let the feeling of safety flow in. Then concentrate on sounds and silences that belong in your safe place. Feeling that they bring the feeling of safety and let it grow stronger in you. Then smell the odors of your safe place and let the good feeling flow in. Whom do you see there? Concentrate on the feelings of safety that the, that the other brings. What do you feel in your body while imagining your safe place? Concentrate on that feeling and then open your eyes and look around you and take in your safe place. So from from now on, whenever you are in distress or feel the need, you can return to your good and safe place and draw strength from it. That was adapted from Aileen and Flasher in 1993. So as I mentioned earlier, it's important that you keep your safe place safe, especially from anyone who um, suffers from trauma. It's very important that you keep your safe place safe and you feel safe in your safe place. If your safe place is in your home or in another physical physical location, it is important that you are able to keep that place private. It's your place. It's your safe place. It is not a place where children can come in and play or disturb your work. It is a place that has good energy. You may wish to clean that spot before you actually use it in a safe place. So find a place in your home that is uniquely only to you. For me, I have um, three different areas of my house that I use as my safe place. Um, My office, this office is uh, one place that I can go that is my private safe place. I also have an upstairs um, room, which I call my den, which is totally private and comfortable. Um, That's another safe place. And then I have um, my back porch which is uh, screened in and I can sit back there and really get in touch with nature. I can light a candle and use that as my safe place.
You may cleanse your safe place with sage, cedar, sweet grass, or incense, and make sure that it has nothing stressful or unsafe in it um, that can jar you back to everyday reality. You might put in something to give you white noise or perhaps include a miniature waterfall or fountain in your room. And you may wish to find a book on Feng Shu and arrange the furniture in a way that seems to be healing. Another thing you might consider in your safe place is having uh, listening to sound meditation, um, playing some really good relaxing music, like um, Ted Winslow's music, which will help release any negative feelings or emotions that you might be having. It is important that any energy you bring to this space is clean, new, and anger-free. It is also important to bring things to your safe place that give you that kind of energy. Perhaps you have an object or picture that symbolizes who you want to be after you believe you are healed enough to continue on with a healthy life. Remember, when you create this safe place, it is important that you are able to see it, smell it, touch it, hear it, taste it, and feel it. It is a place where you can go wherever you choose within seconds. So my safe place literally um, is very easy to get to. And it also helps me be able to restore healthy, clean energy and restore anything that I feel may be a weight on my shoulders. I can get rid of it in my safe place. You can use your safe place as often as you like. A lot of times you might want to take a good 20, 40 minutes a day to just spend time in your safe place. It helps me to do that, especially after work, because my work is so emotional um, that I need a place where I can just rest and regroup, rest and regroup, even if it's just for 20 or 40 minutes. The other thing um, which is important to do and which you can also do in your safe, safe place is utilize grounding techniques, which I call staying grounded. So the word grounded means staying present in the current time in contrast to, quote, spacing out or disassociating. You may have some particular ways to remain present when things come up that remind you of trauma, 
or when you are dealing with past experiences. Trauma survivors have made many suggestions as to how to remain grounded. And some of these suggestions are as follows. Using all your senses to be aware of your physical environment and then talking to others about it. Being aware of your physical body and how you look. Being aware of your movements and space as you walk. Exercising while being aware of what you are doing. Making a plan for the day and sharing that plan with another. Challenging yourself to a contest to increase the length of time you can remain in the present. Watching TV and telling yourself or others what you saw. Doing routine activities in a different way, such as cleaning up the house in a different order. So instead of uh, starting in the kitchen, working your way through the living room and dining room, you might instead start upstairs in the bedroom and then the bathroom and any other room upstairs that may need to be cleaned and then come downstairs and um, do the downstairs area if you have an upstairs. A lot of people don't have an upstairs, but you can start by cleaning a different room in your house or your apartment. Asking others to help you stay connected to them. Talking to yourself about the present and planting your feet as firmly as you can underground in the here and now. So the planting your feet underground is what we call a physical grounding technique. And it's actually a technique that I introduce to a lot of my clients, especially the ones who have experienced trauma, have negative thoughts, and um, may have some anxiety at any given time. And I tell them, it's really place your feet flat on the floor and physically ground yourself. And I can do that just sitting here, my feet flat. I can look at this beautiful picture of my grandmother above me and really notice things on that picture of my grandmother that I may not have ever noticed before. Like the beautiful ribbon she has in her hair, the beautiful blue black background in the back where there's actually a yellow color right behind her, which is absolutely beautiful. It's almost like the sun shining over her, even though she's not outside. And I can look at her face and wonder what she's thinking. Is she happy because she's not smiling? But what is she thinking? But picture of my grandmother is really, really beautiful. So if I need a moment to really just regroup, then I can ground myself and I can 
look at that picture or I can focus on other different pictures and posters in my room and notice different things about them. Different things that I never noticed before. For example, I'm looking at this, um, my bills calendar. And um, there's a picture of Devon Singletary. And he's doing his thing. But I didn't notice that there's someone on the Miami Dolphins team trying to get ready to take him down as he's running with the football, <laughs> which obviously was not possible. Um, so that's part of the physical grounding technique. Um, to take you more into physical grounding, like I said, I start by um, recommending that you notice your feet on the floor, flat on the floor. Your feet are so flat on that floor that you're feeling the ground below you. You're like digging your feet into the floor and feeling the floor below you. Your feet are literally grounded, connected to the floor. And then you wiggle your toes inside your shoes, dig your heels deeply into the floor to ground yourself even more. And then you touch something around you. Touch your chair. And think about everything you can about that chair. Like what kind of material is it made of? And now touch your table or desk and notice what it's made of. It's almost like you're touching it for the very first time. Is the desk colder or warmer than the chair? And then you find any object that's near you, perhaps a pen or your keys or something on the desk. Pick it up, hold it, and say everything you can about it. What What's it made of? How heavy is it? Is it warm or cold? What color is it? Then we clench our fists. Notice the tension in your hands as you do so. Then release your fists. Now press your palms together with elbows to the side as tightly as you can. Focus all of your attention on your palms and let go. Now grab onto your chair or whatever you might be sitting on as tightly as you can. Then after a few minutes, let it go. And then you end by just rolling your head on around, rolling your head. 
And then you rate yourself from a scale of zero to 10, with 10 being the worst, and notice how well you feel. So right now, I would say that I'm like actually at a two. If I wanted to rate myself before I did the physical grounding exercise, I would probably say that I was at a seven. Why was that I, I at a seven? I was at a seven because I've had a really, really long day. I've been in back-to-back therapy meetings. At my own therapy meeting, I started the morning with my own meeting with my own therapist. And then I had back-to-back um, client appointments. Um, all of which um, were very beneficial. Um, And then I had to do this radio show. So I literally have had like no break at all. (laughs) No break at all today. But it was a, a, a very good day. And I'm still not done because I have to go out and run some errands. Um, But after I run my errands, I'm going to come back home and take a nice hot hot shower, put on my pajamas, my slippers, and I'm just going to relax and watch something crazy on TV (laughs) Uh, because I deserve it. So um, we only have a few minutes left, so I want to recap a little bit of everything we talked about today. Um, With everything going on in this world today, and because of technology, we're seeing a lot of things, actual life events that can be very um, disturbing distressing. And for those of us who have experienced extreme trauma, seeing those things like Tyree Nichols beaten to death by the police can cause our PTSD to kick in. And when your PTSD kicks in, it's important for you to be able to recognize those things, recognize how you're feeling, recognize any tension in your body. And from there, do your deep breathing. Just take a few minutes to breathe really deep. Hold your breath. Release your breath. Breathe again. Hold your breath, release your breath. Hold your breath, release your breath. And then you can also create your own safe safe place. Visualize yourself in your safe place, be it on a beach, a nice comfortable place in the woods, and 
smell everything around you, take in everything that you can see around you, take in everything that you can hear around you. You also have the opportunity to create a safe place in the place that you live that should be your own private space, a place where the kids aren't running around. It's just your own private, safe place where you can escape to. You can burn candles. You can sage it. You can use incense. You can listen to some meditation. Um, You can listen to some bilateral stimulation music, which can help emotionally regulate you. And the other thing you can do is you can do the, the physical grounding exercise where you literally ground your feet flat onto the floor, feel the ground below you, and focus on something in your room. Touch different things around you. Tense your muscles. Release your muscles. Tense your muscles. Release your muscles. And then roll your head around. So for next week, I, well, next, not next week. We're here every other week. So I won't be here next Wednesday, but I'll be here the following. And I think it's going to be, it will be good to talk about attachment deficiencies um, because all of us have um, some sort of attachment style. So it's important to recognize your attachment style. and determine how your particular attachment style formed you into the adult who you are today. So I think this was a really, really, really good show. Um, I had the Tyree Nichols situation on my mind for a long time and wanted to um, get that out. Um, it's still an ongoing discussion, but I'm always here. I'm always available. If you want to contact me um, to talk about anything we discussed on this show, and my time is just about up, so I look forward to seeing you all on March fifteenth. Outro.